I had to you know, understand, you know, how do I create efficiencies in my business to you know, have the highest margins, reinvest that into my business. You know, once I ramped up production, do I buy another power washer? Do I buy another sprayer? These are you know, at, at a very uh, micro level, like capital expenditures in my business. And so understanding, you know, on one hand, kind of the soft skills, the organization, the time management, but also what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur, you know, setting up your own time, building your relationships with your clients, and also the Sherwin-Williams folks. Um, all these things have, you know, I've seen that reflected in the successful bankers that I support day in and day out. Answering the right questions, I think that is the number one. If there's anything, you know, that gets taken away from, you know, our conversation, Matt, for the listeners is that, you know, you can't underestimate the value of asking the right questions and putting yourself into the shoes of others. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. We've got Eric Soltis on today. There's a bunch of hidden gems in today's show. He's going to get into what is commercial banking and what are all the other types of banking. He's going to differentiate them so you know what it means to be a banker. He's going to talk about his value-driven life. He's going to talk about asking and answering the right questions as the key to his success. If you want to find him, you can find him on LinkedIn, E-R-Y-K-S-O-L-T-Y-S. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Eric, thank you so much for making time on this Friday to get out of the heat in Chicago and share your insight for the people of the world on what is banking. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Happy to be here, Matt. You know, uh, thinking about Chicago summers is that it gets really humid. So, um, you know, I'm probably going to walk outside after uh, after I get off work and probably just be hit with a wave of stickiness. So that's kind of what we have to deal with. Um, but they do say that um, Chicago is the best 90 days you know, of the year, the, the rest, you know, that's when you get out of, you get, get out of the Midwest as far as you can uh, to sunny California like yourself. Yeah, and those 90 days are September 15th through October 15th and March 15th through May 15th. I've been there in the summer. I've been there in the winter. It's cold. It's hot, but it is beautiful. Before we dive into any more Chicago insight, because we got to maybe have to talk about some restaurants, maybe talk about some steaks. But before we get there, I got to ask you what I always ask at the beginning. What is your definition of excellence, Eric? Absolutely, Matt. Um, excellence to me uh, would be defined as setting an example with passion and consistency. So a couple parts there. First, passion, right? I think to really be excellent at something, you have to know the why behind it. I think whether it's, you know, a career, whether it's, you know, uh, my golf game that, you know, I'm relentlessly chasing to try to, you know, uh, hit the balls further. But um, I think passion has to be behind kind of, you know, what you do in terms of, you know, your motivations, um, how, you know, how much effort you're going to put in to into a goal or um, or relationships or your career or what have you. Um, so if your heart's not in the right place, it's definitely much harder to, you know, achieve your goal, to see that incremental improvement. Right. And the second part of consistency is that you have to, you know, I think excellence, Matt, is iterative. You have to continuously invest into your purpose. So going back to, uh, to my golf game. Right. So I'm still relatively new to the game. I go out to the driving range and, you know, I shank some balls left and right. But on the 10th or 11th, you know, uh, tee shot was actually get it off and it goes straight, you know, 150 yards. I'm like, oh, my God, like that was incredible. Let's do it again. And I, you know, and of course, the next one, I screwed up again. I have to go all over. So, you know, to be an excellent, you know, golfer kind of in that sense, or to be excellent at anything, you have to understand why you're motivated to do what you do. That helps you, that helps you get up in the morning. That helps you continuously train to be successful. 
And then once you keep doing it again and again, that's when people start noticing, you know, you're, you're excellent in what you do. Okay. So there is a lot in there. So, uh, well, first of all, they're setting an example. So you're, you're, uh, your other people are aspiring to be like you. You're someone that's doing better. I guess that's implied in that the end result is, you know, very solid as, as part of the definition of excellence. Second of all, the passion, you mentioned knowing the why, and you mentioned it's easier to put in the time. You got to put in your 10,000 hours or however many hours it is. Very hard to do that if you hate it. Before we started recording, we were talking about DISC. We're talking about my wife who was in sales. She was good at it. But a unique ability is something you're good at and you like. She hated it. She had a zero I score on the DISC that we were talking about. If she, like, I love sales. I'm a high I. You're a high I. Um, it's easier to become great at it because it's a passion. And then you mentioned consistency. It's not go put in some effort one time and you're great. Um, and even if, you, even if you are great out of the gate, you don't stay great without the consistency. So um, appreciate that. And we're going to dive into your job. And I think it's interesting. Um, I, I've, had, I've had financial planner on here. I had Allie, financial planner who lives in Chicago. Allie Becker, do you know her? I don't, I don't believe so. No. Did she also do college work? She did college work. She lives in Chicago. She works for Goldman Sachs. Okay. Um, I'm going to have my friend Evo on. That's the CEO of a business bank. Eventually, um, you're in commercial credit, and I just want to. Uh, we're going to get into your history, but real quick, commercial credit analyst. You're working with businesses, twenty to fifty million, uh, twenty to five hundred million in, in revenue, which is interesting. So there's a target size business, which I'm assuming gives you the ability to kind of understand your financials better if you focus on a target size business. And you're coming in as a banker in sales, probably you got to get your clients convincing people that what you do with numbers will make their business better. Right. So give me a quick uh, two minutes or a minute on what is commercial credit analyst at a bank. We're going to get into all the other banking roles later, but what is it that you do and how do you help businesses grow? Because I think people in that 20 something age group might want to have the impact that you're having on businesses and have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So I would consider commercial banking as you know commercial lending to provide flexible, customized financial solutions to help companies achieve their short-term and long-term uh, financial goals. So we talk about the short term, you know, very common products, especially in the middle market, would be something of a revolving line of credit. Think of it very similar to a personal credit card. You know, you have to bridge kind of like your working capital, right? You have to pay payroll, but cash hasn't come in yet um, for the period. Then, therefore, you tap into that line of credit and then you pay it down and then kind of fluctuate based on seasonality as well. Also, for, you know, long term products, we've got you know, whether you as a company want to build a new manufacturing facility in, you know, um, in, El in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, very large industrial park out there, you would go to a traditional commercial bank like Fifth Third, and we would put together a package on, you know, here's the, here's the terms of a loan, we're uh, going to put in some financial covenants, you have to, you know, make sure, you know, kind of on our end, we're mitigating that risk of, you know, make, ensuring that the company can pay us back. Um, and everything else kind of outside of like those loan facilities is the day-to-day -day relationship management. You know, where is the company's cash going in and out? Are there any opportunities for us as a bank to, you know, optimize your, you know, a company's receivables, payables? Um, even if a company is getting ready to sell, we'll engage our investment banking partners to, uh, to help with that process. So commercial banking in total, just, you know, we help our, uh, the companies in our portfolios, you know, grow, uh, you know, reinvest money back in the economy by hiring jobs, um, you know, and also we help with kind of that wealth planning. So, you know, we, you know, we would also be able to pass off kind of like the wealth management to obviously our private bankers, but commercial banking is, you know, focused on the day-to-day -day in the business. And the reason why I love what I do is that we get to be strategic advisors to the entrepreneurs that we help with, you know, typically focusing on family-owned businesses, owner-operators, that this is all they know, right? So we come in, we come in and we, you know, go in and provide, you know, this is what we believe will help you grow your business and reach its maximum potential. I'm not going to necessarily tell the business owner kind of how to run their business, but kind of seeing what's out there in the market and being able to provide our opinion 
as their as an advocate for uh, for whatever they're involved in. And shout out to Fifth Third Bank for hiring such wonderful partners and employees. And I want to comment on the on the word partner. So when you're if you're going into business and you hear that, you might be thinking, oh, a bank is kind of like a partner. If you want to go into banking, you got a finance degree like Eric does or an accounting degree like Eric does. You want to go into banking because maybe you want to help people. Business banks help people and help their partners. So our bank is a partner to us. So right now we have a line of credit um, and it costs money to run a bank in the construction industry. It costs about two million for every 10 million in revenue you do because you're not getting paid until the job's done. You got to buy the materials, pay the labor pay for the office staff, do the marketing, and you don't get paid till later. Most kind of Dell computers change that. They got paid before they produced the product. And you can go read up about Vern Harnish and how to switch this cycle, which is you can't switch it in some industries. In construction, it's hard to get paid ahead of time. So you need to finance it. And if you understand finance, there's all different ways to finance things. You can collateralize buildings. You can line a credit. You can get equity. There's all sorts of different things. So a good banking partner and I love, I love how you said it, customizes the solution to the customer. And then I like how you said short-term and long-term goals. Short-term, I want to make a bunch of money. Long-term, I want to not have personal guarantees and not have any debt. Short-term, I need to finance my business. Long-term, I need retirement. And, and a good partner, and you said it's like a consultant, it's an analyst. If you're, if you're in business and you have a good bank, they help you strengthen your business. So that's what Eric does. We're going to get into more of what Eric does. We're going to get into more of how he figured it out. But before we do that, we got to go back in time, Eric. We got to go back to, and Eric's, by the way, lived in the Chicago area all his life. So um, he loves really cold winters and really hot summers. And he's into the lake lifestyle. It builds character, yeah. Lake lifestyle is pretty awesome. And 4th of July in the Midwest, there's nothing better than 4th of July in the Midwest. We're just coming out of 4th of July. Let's go back to Mount Prospect. Before you got into this banking business, you were in high school. What was life like in high school? Were you getting ahead? Did you know to get ahead? What were you doing? Yeah. So, um, you know, speaking of high school or maybe a little bit, you know, further back, Matt, kind of my upbringing, right? So uh, growing up, um, I uh, lived in a bilingual household. So my parents are both Polish immigrants. Um, so I think that uh, had a considerable impact on kind of my values, kind of what I view as important, kind of my attitude and work ethic. Um, so going into high school, um, I think, you know, the main kind of drivers for, you know, who I am today is, you know, having three younger siblings. So obviously I had, you know, oldest, uh, oldest child syndrome. So, um, you know, but at a certain point, you know, not to be, you know, not to be facetious, I definitely took that as being a role model. So, um, you know, as someone that, you know, if Eric didn't, you know, wash the dishes after dinner, or if he didn't clean his room, like my parents would have chewed me out on it. And, you know, uh, we, you know, lived in a typical middle-class home. So, you know, there was no hiding away from each other. So my siblings kind of saw what I did. Um, and so with that, I thought that, you know, the number one thing that I learned growing up uh, in high school and, you know, having our younger siblings is that, you know, really learning how to drop your ego, right? No one in the family, especially our family, was above anybody else. Everyone had to help out. You know, when our grandparents came in, we're very fortunate that we have a very good relationship with, you know, my mom's parents. So um, helping them out whenever they needed to, either in the yard, um, throughout the house, when we have guests over, that was always chaotic because, you know, Polish moms, they definitely need the house to be pristine because God forbid, you know, the guests, you know, uh, check under the floorboards and under, uh, you know, under, under your bed. So, um, that was kind of what it was like, you know, growing up, but in high school, um, I would say, you know, what can be busy was, you know, playing soccer all year round. You know, I played on the high school team, uh, during the fall. And then I played year round, uh, with a Polish travel team. And, you know, I had several leadership uh, positions there. So I captained both my, uh, senior year, uh, soccer team at Prospect High School as well as, you know, my travel team. And, you know, with that, I think that was my first sense into what it meant to lead by example, right? So the intangibles of showing up on time, being, uh, you know, showing empathy to your, to your teammates, kind of understanding how do we get to, you know, the goal of, you know, not necessarily looking at, you know, a championship, but how do we focus on the day in and day out of, of the sport, right? 
but when I went back into the consistency effort. So what we focused on in practice was not how are we going to win games, how are we going to string together passes to get to opportunities for us to score. If we fo- if, as, the more we focus on getting the, that minutia, those little details correctly, that's what's going to make us a successful soccer team. So those are the kind of things that, um, that, that we kind of grew up with and kind of the leadership uh, you know, uh, uh, lessons that I learned from, from sports. All right. So, um, so part of your upbringing was a conscious desire to be a good role model, a good example for your siblings. Part of it was your parents being good parents telling you that you needed to. Then you get into soccer. It's funny because we were talking about disc before we started recruiting and your disc profiles form between 14 and 18. So uh, it's your behavioral patterns. Uh, you start to notice that these little uh, segments of practice, you know, going back and forth, passing, uh, practice shooting, the, the stuff you do today affects the goal a year from now. The little parts get into the whole. But you think about banking. The, the, the line of credit or the loan and how it's structured affects my business five years from now. Preparing for the recession two years ago affects how we handle 2023, which I guess the recession's already here, supposed to get here in 2023. So all that started happening on the soccer field and with your with your uh, siblings. I got to stop for a second because you said you're a Polish immigrant um, and I am probably the most anti-racist person in the world. And I thought racism was over because you know, I live in Southern California. My kids have, you know, there's there's never anyone of the same race in my house. There's never two of the same race. And we've got all sorts of sexuality, all sorts of races here. So I thought it was over. And then the world changed. And I'm not allowed to talk about politics, but this horrible redhead became president. Oh, I just lost a lot of listeners. And racism uh, came up again. I remember as a kid, anti-Polish racism. And I remember a uh, shout out to Andre Kaz- Kazmierski, who lives in Chicago as well. He and I were pretty close to College Works. I remember him telling me about dealing with racism as a, a son of an immigrant in Chicago. And, you know, we had national Polish racism. I think, and I've been wrong before, I think racism against Polish people ended instantaneously in February 2022. What do you think about that? Is it possible that there is no more racism against Polish people since the whole world saw what Poland did for the Ukrainians driving to the border, taking in families? I don't know how many refugees they've taken in. More than a million, right? Maybe two million refugees. Is it over? Well, that's that's a really interesting question, Matt, because, you know, for someone that, you know, grew up uh, in Polish school, we have to go back to, you know, kind of like the original Polish warriors, right? Uh, in in, uh, in the Chicagoland area, CPS students actually get Pulaski Day off. Casimir Pulaski was uh, a famous general who he supported, um, you know, the Americans in the uh, in, in the War of Independence or the uh, yeah the War of Independence back in you know 1776. So I think you know Polish contributions for their fellow man, um, kind of you know abroad, um, that's been around you know forever. And you know it's unfortunate that a lot of that does get lost in. Uh, in history, I mean, Poland has been, you know, if if you're kind of caught up with, you know, if you are familiar with uh, kind of their um, their national history, understanding how many times they've gotten invaded, like how many years that Polish um, the Poles had had to you know flee their country because they couldn't speak Polish, they were under oppression by you know the Germans, the Prussians, um, what have you. So I think you know Polish people. I was very you know fortunate growing up Polish because. You know, we're very proud of our heritage, of kind of maintaining kind of that sense of patriotism, kind of our culture, our identity. And I've been very fortunate growing up in a large uh, Polish population in Chicagoland. So, you know, going to Polish school every Saturday, you know, when I was younger, it was against my will, but I learned, you know, how valuable it was and kind of, you know, being familiar with kind of, you know, uh, my my country's history and my uh, my background. Um, so. I, that's very unfortunate to hear that, you know, I, I think bigotry will unfortunately never go away because some people view, you know, some Polish people as, you know, maybe working class, maybe less intelligent, um, you know, what have you, when you have these stereotypes. But I think that if, you know, the biggest kind of, um, you know, the way the biggest repellent towards bigotry and racism is education. So understanding, you know, the contributions of people like, you know, the Poles 
kind of what they've contributed within, you know, uh, Eastern Europe, as well as kind of what they've been able to do in, uh, you know, in America. And I mean, you know, you, you think of like Mary Curie, Nicholas Copernicus, these were, you know, innovators, they were movers, they were shakers back in their time. So Polish people have always, uh, you know, contributed to, you know, their respective fields. And I think uh, understanding that will hopefully, you know, eliminate that, that bigotry that you mentioned. Okay, so your answer is, and we're not talking about professions here, but you never know what you're going to learn on the edge of excellence. So uh, your your comment is basically no racism against Polish people is not over. This is one of many great things the Poles have done. And Matt, this is the one that's in your face today. You forgot about these other times um, while we're talking about racism. Uh, minorities are well, sometimes it's the majority, but uh, you, you a lot of times get racism because of historical uh, occurrences like. Uh, the Muslims versus the Christians. We had the Christians invading Muslim land and then vice versa. And they've been at war ever since. Shiites versus Sunni. Uh, historical, hundreds of years ago, who was the successor to Muhammad? So you have these historical, you know, dislikes. Armenians don't like Turks because of the, uh, the genocide. I mean, there's real solid reasons for it. And then you have countries like Poland um, that uh, people were displaced over and over and over. So they became the minorities of these different countries. And you look at America, you know, Italians, I, I'm, I've got Irish blood, Irish, French, uh, English. There's been prejudice against whoever the minority is. Again, I think you I think you've proved me wrong. I thought, oh, my God, I told so many people, it's like, how proud are you to be a Pol to be Polish right now? I mean, on the world stage, have you ever seen, I mean, I know other people in other countries have done great things, but, and I don't want to be stereotyped the polls, but it seemed like everybody, like the entire country opened their arms. Have you ever seen a group stand up so strongly um, for another group? But I think you're right. Um, what have you done for me lately? Uh, so hopefully this history gets studied over and over and over and people remember it without having to go to Polish school. But I digress. Um, I'm happy to have seen what I've seen uh, one group of humans do for another group of humans. And we will get back to the point of our discussion. So you're in high school. You're playing soccer. You're setting an example for your kids. You're learning about culture. And then you decide to stay in Chicago and go to DePaul University. Shout out to DePaul University. Everybody loves going to DePaul University. Um, why did you choose not to leave? And what was school like in DePaul? Yeah, so um, DePaul wasn't my first choice now. I'll say that uh, you know, to start because it's, uh, it's kind of funny how your perspective changes uh, with the more people you speak with. Um, and, you know, it's funny. Before we were on air, you mentioned, you know, uh, you had a guest on here that went to Miami, Ohio. Uh, in Oxford, Ohio. Um, and that was the, the school that I thought I was going to be attending. You know, I did a college visit with my mom, um, you know, fall, my senior year, fell in love with the campus, heard amazing things about, you know, the farmer school of business. And, you know, I applied, I got in, you know, not everyone gets directly admitted into farmer. Um, but, you know, what changed for me, what kind of, you know, what, how it turned sour was I looked at the financial aid package and, you know, my, Miami, Ohio being, uh, I believe it's a public school. If I, if, you know, I might have to be fact check on that. Yeah, but um, gotcha. So, um, but the financial pay package was very minimal. You know, I didn't necessarily have the ACT score needed for you know substantial financial aid. So, I think out of pocket it would have been about you know forty grand. You know, for my parents and for them it was absolutely sticker shock. I mean, they didn't go to college. This was their first kid that they were sending off uh, to university, and so I had to look at different options. And so. You know, uh, I applied to DePaul kind of like as a safety school, but, you know, with the scholarship that they were able to provide to me was very significant. I, and DePaul's great about um, kind of, you mentioned that comment about why everyone loves DePaul. I think, you know, they definitely empower first generation students um, and people from disadvantaged backgrounds to really get ahead and get that college education. I'm certainly um, an example of that. And so, you know, after, you know, further conversations with my parents, um, kind of with other mentors, you know, I kind of looked at like the economic path of college. And so I thought, hey, if I were to go to DePaul um, and I made the choice to commute to school. So I commuted all four years um, and find ways to support myself financially. So DePaul gives you the opportunity to work uh, part-time, even sometimes full-time on top of your classes um, to get ahead. That's all part of like 
what I think makes Nepal so great is because you are in the middle of, you know, a huge city and internship opportunities are literally at your fingertips. You know, having a downtown campus down the street from like the biggest banks um, and other, you know, institutions, I think it provides every, you know, every student that goes to Nepal a chance to, to get ahead. That was my decision, kind of, you know, why I ended up staying at home, commuted all four years, um, you know, lived back and forth on the Metro to, to get my to get my finance degree at Nepal. So you're, you're back to your high school values. So in high school, you're playing soccer, you're learning about work ethic, you're learning about the path to goals, you're setting an example for your kids, you're absorbing your parents' uh, values and culture. At first, you didn't want to, then you realized and then you realize the, the greatness in your parents' lessons. And so you move off to college and you make a choice. And I'm going to continue to help my parents. I'm going to continue to co- contribute. So your values are starting to form contributions of value. Um, I don't know what the value around setting it, what the word is for setting an example. So you're going to set an example for your siblings. You're going to help your parents out. And you find out through serendipity, maybe it was a better choice than Ohio for you. Maybe, uh, uh, maybe it was a better for your future career. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com slash podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com slash podcast. Now, back to the show. And when you're in college, in high school, I didn't ask you this, were you trying to get ahead? Were you trying to set an example? Or were you just doing your thing? And in college, did you know you needed to start doing stuff or did it just happen? Yeah. So in high school, I, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of, I went into college kind of an undeclared major, but I think, you know, some of the more um, kind of formative um, kind of events kind of in high school was being able to travel. So, you know, we commented on, you know, current events and kind of, you know, the geopolitical state of the world um, right now. So um, I had the opportunity to travel to, to Poland uh, for six weeks, traveled on my own to visit my dad's side of the family, who they all, they all still live there. You know, I actually, my, my parents found a Polish summer camp that I went to. So, and it was really, it was, that was really awesome because I was the only, you know, American in that setting. So, um, you know, being fully immersed in like the Polish culture. Um, and I also did a French uh, exchange program. I, I took French in high school. And I almost minored it in college. And so I was able to, you know, get paired up with um, a French student, someone that lived outside of Paris. And I spent a whole week with them on my spring break. So I think early on, kind of, you know, I, I was kind of forming my personality in terms of, you know, learning what it meant to be sensitive to other cultures and putting myself in uncomfortable situations and learning how to adapt, right? So you understand, you know, the way that we do things here in America is entirely different than kind of like the norms, the cultures, the values in, you know, a a village in Southern Poland or maybe a suburb of France, right? So we have all these things that kind of shape, you know, the way that I think and view the world. And so that's why I went into college kind of more with an open mind and kind of, you know, uh, serendipitously decided that, you know, finance would probably be something that, you know, would enable me to be successful in business, you know, whether it would be earnings potential, whether it'd be kind of, you know, the different opportunities in banking. That's when, you know, early on, I decided, you know, I'm going to do finance, going to stick with it um, and, you know, ended up enjoying it. And that's why, you know, I'm currently in the position that I, where I'm at today. Did you want to do banking in college? Did you know you wanted to do banking? Not right off the bat, no. So I think what, for my opinion, was you know doing the college internship as well as taking 
classes specific to credit analysis and banking, kind of understanding, you know, what are the differences between commercial, corporate, investment banking? How is it different than kind of the objectives of wealth management? So it was, you know, through different conversations with my DePaul professors, you know, shout out to, you know, Professor Martin Essenberg, who, you know, he was the one that really kind of opened my eyes to, you know, what I needed to do to get my finance degree and set myself up for success um, to get a commercial banking internship and then uh, such a, a full-time offer down the line. So, you know, definitely took a little bit of time to understand that commercial banking was the right fit to me. And I think that all had to do with, with experience. You know, you can't understand or you don't fully, you know, grasp kind of what it is in your career. In the classroom, that's when you have to start networking and kind of, you know, doing the work outside of, you know, your, your coursework uh, to, to really uh, picture yourself, you know, in your early career. So I always tell people, you know, if you're out of college, you start wormholing and just start reading job descriptions and spend an hour a week, two hours a week reading job descriptions, and you'll start to understand what's out there. If you're in college, though, you can take some classes. So you took some classes on credit analysis. You took some classes on banking, the difference between corporate investment, commercial banking, and you started to see you've got the resources there. Take a bunch of different classes while you're in college. Try a few things out. You never know what, what you're going to like. And you said that you have financial management versus banking. Maybe you wanted to be a financial manager. You decided, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to help individuals. I want to help companies because I'll help more individuals or whatever it was. So you took a class. You also said this college works internship helped you figure out you wanted to be a banker. Um, and this is where Joe Norwell is like, yeah, Matt's talking about the college works internship because they do pay for the show. Um, how did doing the stupid painting internship help you figure out that you wanted to be a banker? Yeah. So I think that, you know, the main kind of skills that you learn kind of on the job in college works, that sets you up not just necessarily in banking, but there's definitely a lot of skills that you can take away that could lateral over. So I think the main ones would be organization, you know, kind of going into the college works internship. And I remember this so vividly. It was my uh, pre-production meeting with my manager, Wade Kinney. Uh, I had come in to, you know, it was a, it was a Panera at a midway point because he lived at the, on the uh, South suburbs at the time. And I'd come in with my bin of uh, estimate sheets and contracts. And, you know, he saw me shuffle through you know, the different ones. He saw that I really you know, didn't have kind of all my ducks in a row at that time. And so he chewed me out for it. You know, he understood, he, you know, kind of sent me down. He didn't start the meeting right away. And he gave me a very valuable lesson on, you know, if you don't have a plan in action, and if you can't, you know, if you can't look ahead in your business, if you can't take accountability ahead of time and plan, you're going to be miserable. And I think, you know, I learned some, you know, I was kind of going through the school of hard knocks. In, uh, you know, in college works, kind of understanding how to you know, run your business. Kind of one of the main reasons why I took the internship was it gave me the opportunity to manage my own P&L. I'd have to buy my own supplies at Sherwin and Williams. I had to you know, understand, you know, how do I create efficiencies in my business to you know, have the highest margins, reinvest that into my business. Um, you know, once I ramp up production, do I buy another power washer? Do I buy another sprayer? These are you know, at, at a very uh, micro level, like capital expenditures in my business. And so understanding, you know, on one hand, kind of the soft skills, the organization, the time management, but also what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur, you know, setting up your own time, building your relationships with your clients, and also the Sherwin-Williams folks. Um, all these things have, you know, I've seen that reflected in the successful bankers that I support day in and day out. Um, answering the right questions. I think that is the number one. If there's anything, you know, that gets taken away from, you know, our conversation map or the listeners is that, you know, you can't underestimate the value of asking the right questions and putting yourself into the shoes of others. Because in sales, that is what separates you, differentiates you from the guys across the street. You know, Fifth Third isn't doing anything materially different from our competition over, you know, at Wintrust, at Chase, at Bank of America. But what does separate us and why we're so successful in the market is that we're able to, you know, find the right talent, develop them, and they're able to go to our customers and think ahead. I think, you know, the example you mentioned before, you know, identifying recessions before they're happening. Now, no one can really land, you know, or identify when a recession is or isn't. But, you know, understanding the trend of interest rates, you know, how more, how 
expensive it is going to be to borrow now versus down the future, having those conversations ahead of time and then putting those ideas into our clients' heads, that's what helps us be successful. And so being able to, you know, be proactive instead of reactive and answering the right questions and asking them to create a, a successful dialogue, that is what helped me, you know, be successful at college works. And that's why, you know, it's helping me become you know, I, th- I think for, you know, at, at this at this rate, um, a pretty good uh, commercial credit analyst. Right. So when you came to the college works internship, did you already know you wanted to be in banking? No, not at that time. No, I knew I wanted to do something in finance, but I wasn't necessarily sure which segment I wanted to be in. But I figured that, you know, after doing the college works internship, understanding what it took to be an entrepreneur, running my own business, um, kind of those soft skills. I learned that, hey, you know, I don't want to be a painter for the rest of my life. But what I enjoy the most is that that dynamic of, you know, uh, doing an estimate, kind of those negotiations, um, kind of working with a team, kind of with, you know, and at that point, it was my painters, it was my managers, it was a bunch of different stakeholders. So kind of, you know, understanding how all these pieces fit into play, it's kind of like, you know, organized chaos at some point, but I understood that, you know, and then it just uh, once again, I was very uh, I was very fortunate to, you know, have that professional experience compounded with the conversations I've had with my professors, with different kind of professionals in finance, with networking opportunities, understanding, you know, what I learned in college works would really help me uh, be successful in finance, especially in commercial banking. OK, so now I got it. You go to college, you know, you want to do something in finance, you know, you're getting this degree, you don't know what. You do the college works thing. You learn some of these soft skills, but you're back to this make a plan, execute short term, long term. You're starting to feel this love for how to affect the short term and the long term at the same time. You're starting to understand. I thought you said answer the right questions. You said ask the right questions, but it's both. Don't answer answer the questions in your head. Answer the question in the customer's head. Ask the right questions to figure out what's coming out. So you start to see I have this fondness for sales. I have this fondness for problem solving. I have this fondness for st- strategy. I have this fondness for long-term, short-term. And so you develop a new lens on how to look for your job while you're at College Works. And when you're having these different conversations with these professors, you have different moments of excitement, different gut reactions because of this experience. You're becoming wise, right? You became wiser to what was good for Eric at College Works and to these other conversations you come up with the match and what a match it is because you're still getting to work with a bunch of people. You get to work with different people all the time. You get to move around to different companies. You're getting new problems all the time, new market. The market changes every day, new global economy changes every day. So you like the, the constant movement and you're getting, you're impacting customers and employees before now you're impacting a team and I guess still customers, other people's businesses. Okay, that's, I love that clarification. I want to get into, and you mentioned it, you took these classes, so I know we're not going to sum it up in a couple minutes on what you learned from all these different classes, but there's financial management that people uh, get confused with investment banking, believe it or not. They just don't know. But you mentioned investment banking, commercial banking, financial management. Uh, you mentioned having this class that, that gave you the difference. What is, give us the kind of the breakdown on the different types of banking, and then um, give us a couple seconds on why commercial banking was the best for you. Yeah. So as I mentioned previously, so in commercial banking, you're dealing with highly held businesses. Typically, uh, it's family owned, maybe operated, but you know, once again, that's different from corporate banking, which that deals with, you know, providing financial solutions for public companies. So, you know, you have a much higher level of sophistication. So a corporate banker would, you know, instead of providing a line of credit for, you know, a mom and pop, uh, or not maybe not a mom and pop, but, you know, a local industrial company, you know, in the community, they would provide a line of credit to like uh, Toyota, or they would provide a line of credit for, um, say, like a Planet Fitness or like a, fran- uh, a franchisee opportunity. And at that point, you know, you kind of get like a piece of the pie. Whereas in commercial banking, the reason why I thought it was a you know a good fit, not to kind of get ahead of you know the other types of banking, is that in commercial you're looking at the whole enchilada, you know, for lack of a better term. You get all you, you're the senior secured lender, so you get 
you know, the line of credit, you have first position in case of, you know, if there's a situation of default. So you, you know, you're kind of in that number one, you're, uh, you're number one kind of in that capital structure. Um, but also you get all of their treasury management, you get all of their deposits, you get all these features that help the relationship become extremely sticky, right? So that's why, you know, that's kind of the necessary evil of banking. Cause like once you have that relationship, more often than not, it gets very, very hard to, you know, go to um, another bank. So instead of, you know, and then that's why that's what makes it different. That's the main distinction between commercial and investment banking is because investment banking is what happens when you have an event, right? So say that you have a, a, a commercial client and, you know, their third generation, um, they've, they've crushed it throughout the history of their, of their business, but they're just ready to sell. So that's when they would engage an investment bank to do the marketing, to understand, you know, whether it should be sold to a competitor or potentially a private equity firm. And that's another distinction, which, you know, why you would do one or the other, but it's much more, you know, much more high stakes, you know, as an investment bank, you know, you're going to try to determine what's the right value of this business. And there's different valuation methodologies, but, and then there's, you know, as you know, you have that stereotype of, you know, investment bankers work and incredibly long hours, which, you know, it is to a certain extent, but um, in commercial banking, you know, you also work just as hard because, you know, if you have instances of fraud, for instance, right, in commercial, you're dealing with the whole universe. So what, you know, what happens within the business, you have to be ready to be a firefighter like that and put out, you know, those, those issues, right? So there's different types of kind of investment theses and theses and strategies in terms of, you know, a commercial bank, um, which, you know, obviously they take in deposits and they're trying to lend out money investment bank, which they're looking to get a fee for the services of marketing and selling businesses, and then corporate banking, which they get several different fees, very similar to kind of, you know, uh, the breakdown of how a commercial bank makes profit. And there's also wealth management, which that's all about assets under management, how much, you know, care, or how much, uh, you know, can we take care of our individual clients? How can we grow that tree that they've built kind of within their business or kind of with the other kind of asset classes. So hopefully that explanation, you know, albeit a long-winded one, helps. Now I don't have to go take uh, four units at DePaul for 15 weeks. Um, so the commercial, the client base kind of sung to you, the stickiness of the relationship, you're in there with them, you're a partner with them, you're a consultant, you know, you're a stakeholder and they're a stakeholder in you. Uh, the the strategic element of it and the the ability to impact and then the the synergy with your values so all of that sung to you and you have you have this experience growing up with the teams and you know the path to the goal and the effective today on the long term you got the um, the situation with your parents being good parents and and the uh, the siblings that you're setting an example for you've got these different job experiences that are starting to open your eyes, these different conversations. And through the course of a bunch of experience over a bunch of years, you figure out what's right for you. And if you're listening right now, um, you can speed it up, uh, but you're not going to get away from, you're not going to figure it out without putting some effort in. And Eric, you know, you, you take time to go meet with the professor after class. You talk to the customer about what they do. You read different things. Um, it's going to take some effort. But if you look at the system here that Eric went through, it was paying attention to himself, paying attention to the things around him, seeking out different experiences, and then noticing. I mean, you're noticing what you're getting out of weird things like running a painting company, you know, and how it might might link to the future. I'm sure the conversation you had with that professor you did the shout out for other people would have had the conversation and not noticed. So there's some sort of awareness that you're tapping into to help find your path. And when you look back, um, and I, to me, it seems like you found the perfect path. I'm getting excited about doing business with you. And by the way, I, I should probably mention this. If you want to work at Fifth Third Bank, if you want to be a customer of Fifth Third Bank, sounds like, not a bad place to be a customer. You can reach out to Eric via LinkedIn. It's E-R-Y-K, E-R-Y-K-S-O-L-T-Y-S. You can find him on LinkedIn. You can go to Fifth Third Bank and search him there. You can just walk in the door and ask for him there in Chicago. But it sounds like you found the perfect role for you. What comes after credit analysts? What's the next? What are you vying for next? And 
Listen up, Fifth Third. He needs it like tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you, Matt, for that endorsement. So eventually down the line, I do want to shift more into a business development role. Um, the thing about commercial lending is that it is very serious. There's a lot of regulation in uh, in banking, uh, rightfully so. And you know, being able to, you know, what I'm doing now will really set me up for once I'm put in a position to go out and market kind of my services and kind of my uh, subject matter or my subject matter expertise to the potential clients that I'm trying to get into the bank, right? So you don't learn to be, you're not, you know, you're not given the opportunity to be a commercial lender, you know, right out of college because, um, you know, you know, it's, you know, these businesses aren't just, they're not just paint jobs, right? You can mess up, you can get some, you know, paint in the grass, maybe get some, you know, paint on the brick that you might have to power wash, but, you know, not any business owner is just going to give you the keys to the kingdom right off the bat. You know, so there's, Sometimes you have that stereotype of like the gray hair test. You know, if I were to walk into a business right now and start talking about, hey, this is the line of credit that we could provide to your business. You know, would you like to talk? There'd be like, no, like go, go pound sand, kid. Like you're probably younger than my kids. So part of that is understanding how business owners think. And then, of course, you know, even your business development, you still have to put what, you know, is using the banking world as you have to put your credit hat on. So understanding when you go out to market, if third services, you can't just offer the world, right? So that's why I enjoy what I do and kind of why I want to be a relationship manager and uh, in business development is because you can't be an order taker. I think that uh, that's ubiquitous or across sales. You can't just, you know, go to a, a prospect and say, you know, give them a piece of paper and say, what are you having today? You know, sir, ma'am, you have to understand kind of what the customer wants, what the, in, in, uh, in terms of banking, what our risk profile is and kind of finding that customized solution that I that I spoke to before. So you know, down the line, you know, once I um, am in this credit seat for a little bit, uh, I'll I'll be able to be go and confident, and you know, eventually wind and dine my clients. I think that's the part that you know kind of gets uh, you know maybe misinterpreted, kind of in banking that RMs are never in the office; um, they're always at Fox games or, or or Cubs games. But kind of that's where kind of deals get done. So that's you know going back to my why. My passion. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Oh, yeah. That's that's where conversations happen. That's where under going back to your yeah, your passion, your passion is obviously helping people. Your passion is obviously setting a great example. Your passion is obviously taking a group from today's goals to the long term goals. It's obvious. It was there in soccer with the team. We want to win a championship. We got to do X today. Let's get disciplined. It was there at College Works. We want to make money. We got to go cold calling today. Let's get disciplined. And it's in banking. You want to grow your business to X and uh, affect your employees this way and your customers that way. Well, let's look at these steps along the way. It's all tied together to your definition of excellence. And it's all falling in line. I want to ask you one more question before we go. It's my actual favorite question. Looking back in life. And I know you had a lot of fun traveling the world playing soccer. Sounds great. I know you're a good soccer player. I think we talked about soccer before in relation to my wife's soccer a long time ago. Did we? I don't believe so. No, I don't know. I, yeah. Oh, my God. I thought we did. You look like a soccer player, um, but you must have made some sacrifices that at the time seemed like the worst idea ever. And you're totally pissed you had to do them. And looking back, it was the greatest thing you ever did. What is that sacrifice you made in your 20s that you would go tell yourself to do all over again? Yeah. So I think the biggest sacrifice, which I alluded to before, was, you know, commuting to school. You know, at, at certain points, you know, after college works, uh, I also had a job at, uh, at a restaurant, right? So I worked on the weekends. Um, I worked back-to-back doubles. So if you're not familiar with, you know, what that means is that um, I worked the lunch shift as well as dinner shift. So I wouldn't, you know, get off at until one, sometimes two in the morning, you know, after close. And I think with that, uh, there was a big sacrifice because not just with college works, but with, you know, working at a restaurant as a buster, I learned that you know, you have to, you have to sacrifice short-term gratification. So going out and partying, um, you know, going to that, uh, that event, um, I was in a fraternity, so there were definitely a lot of, you know, mixers or socials, uh, that, that I did not, that I did not attend, but going back to my why understanding that, you know, no one's going to remember, you know, that social that we had with, uh, with Delta Zeta or with, with, uh, with Chi Omega, but what I'm going to remember is how much, you know, I can really be relieved that I put myself in the best financial position right outside of, right outside of undergrad 
to get to where I want to do, to get to where I want to be in the future. So even though that, you know, it could have been fun, you know, it was going to some of those parties and, you know, talking to some of those girls, like understanding that, you know, I was, you know, paying my way through school and I'll never, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I'll always be grateful for my dad for sitting myself down and understanding, you know, how to, you know, minimize as much debt as I can outside of college so I can hit the ground running, right? I think uh, if you were talking about current events, I think that the student loan crisis or student debt is one of like the largest kind of issues that's facing our society. And um, understanding that, you know, if you, you're really putting the shackles on the next generation for if you have, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars uh, of debt and with, you know, very minimal ways of repaying that in uh, a reasonable amount of time. So, you know, it's not for everybody, for sure. Um, I know that I could have definitely developed if I had gone to Miami or, you know, if I'd gone to school out of state. But I think for me, uh, being able to like live and work in or live at home, work in Chicago, go to school in Chicago, I did not live in a bubble. So I was constantly around professionals day in and day out. And so I felt that I gained that emotional intelligence. I learned how to, you know, uh, support myself uh, financially at a very early age, um, as opposed to just going to school, just going to parties, just, you know, having a social life. I felt that I got ahead um, in that regard. Wow. Uh, and, you know, that sacrifice of skipping parties and working, you mentioned all the, a bunch of the benefits. It's also the benefit of learning to love work, learning to be able to work. You can't do what you're doing. You can't be a banker for a business if you're not willing to work hard and do the extra do the extra work, the double shift. Um, well, I got to say this. I, I've, I've seen your values come out in this uh, in this discussion. And you know, I'm big into knowing your values, writing them down, share them with your kids. My kids cuss too much. So I've gone with the value of respect as my way to talk them into not cussing too much. And they can't argue my values. But you're you seem to be someone that values love and contribution. And, you know, uh, you made time for the show today. Uh, you make time for your clients. Uh, but I wanted to say thank you for your insights. Thank you for sharing. And uh, I also value love and contribution. So if there's anything I can ever contribute back to you for making time, let me know. Thank you for coming on the Edge of Excellence. Thank you for the opportunity, Matt. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, it is fun, isn't it? All right. Well, I will look forward to seeing you soon when I come up to Chicago in the cold or the heat. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.